Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, this is the first time that we've ever done our podcast side by side on land on land. Yeah. <laughs> this is the push to talk podcast brought to you by EPOS on land. And we're halfway through the year, which means we're halfway through the episodes, right? This is the podcast that happens once a month mm-hmm. as always. And uh, it feels good. It, it feels does. good to be on land. Yes. And we have finally, like, we've done it, like, right after uh, three groups so far, uh, already nearing the end of the fall groups to see who who's ready for this crazy, crazy fall-winter season of CS coming up. And uh, I and it only gets more exciting with uh, now that we're in a studio land environment. That's one thing. But then we get the fall final, the major and the fall final with two lands with uh, that'll be the first lands back with audiences mm. uh and that's when things really turn up right now of course we are in the new blast studio so a step that is closer to land because this one's an intimate spot we've got we've got production not far away from us so during the day while we're casting and whatever we can we can hear the the life that is inside the studio we can hear people cheering uh and honestly i think that's like a step in the right direction in terms of of getting us prepared getting myself mentally ready to have the actual audience you know, the uh, the audio in here and the feeling of having people around is really, really vitalizing. And, and while we're at it, while we're speaking of good audio, thanks to our sponsors, EPOS, for making this podcast possible. This episode is brought to you by the EPOS H6 Pro. The EPOS H6 is the successor to the Game Zero and GSP 600 series, and it's the perfect gaming headset for CSGO and competitive gaming. Yes, it's Which, nice. It's nice. It's light. Uh We've it's comfy. Of, you want to dive into the fall groups right away? You know, we know what's we know what's coming, but uh, I want to talk about what has gone by. Mm-hmm. We we don't have the final day's results, so we don't know exactly how group C ends up, you know, unfolding. I can tell you right now, it's going to be complexity and Navi. Okay, okay, <laughs> fortune teller Mohan over here. Uh, Who did you pick? Did you pick phase or complexity? Complexity, complexity. Yeah, yeah. And that like before the group started, they were like the you know probably going to do okay, but lose all their games. But now they're like, man, could they could they even like withstand Navi? Like they actually are pretty. They, I mean, they almost they got a map. That's pretty insane. Navi are on a thirteen series win streak. That's nuts. Yeah. So they're doing what they got to do to make sure they're good for the major. Navi are on such a hot streak that they tried to play ancient in their series yesterday mm-hmm. versus OG just for what felt like practice. Yeah. You know. Uh they pick ancient sometimes, but yeah, they, they have like a lot of places they could go, but it was this idea that OG for whatever reason, like nobody ever takes an ancient. So why? 
I just, the it's something of, weird that happened. The thought of like the thought of having to deal with the likes of Simple and Boomish just charging through the the caves on B site. I think that's that's what I would be afraid of. You know. Yeah. Uh, I I don't I don't want to deal with that. The boulders that are Navi's aggressiveness. Would you rather play Navi on Ancient or Mirage? Mm, ancient, because at least I have more spots to hide. Yes. In Mirage, there's no more spots to hide. <laughs> no. They will always find you. Every every stone has been unturned. But on Simple can find a way to play. Uh, Mirage in a new way, brother. Those one v twos he had versus OG were unbelievable. There was the one where he, you know, planted behind triple, faked it, w- saw uh, Nico inside a connector, ran over to default, jumped on default, jumped over to triple box and peeked him as like, dude. From Nico's perspective, you just got you just got stunned. You know what I mean? Smacked. You you're gonna feel that one. Like he just rocked you. Like that. That was such a insane way to play that one v two. So you know he's in perfect form. Navi looked good overall. They're still bringing some interesting ideas and unique stuff. Uh, and then they always have nuke. Like they can't lose nuke. Yep. They basically might have like one of the most absurd win streaks just on nuke alone because I was looking at simple stats and he has a, uh, it's like a 1.6 rating over like 28 maps on CT side average. So, and then his overall is like 1.44 or something like that just, on nuke. He, he's just, the, so he's crazy. the best player on both sides of, <laughs> of nuke. Yeah. In the world, by a margin, it's, I don't know. And I've watched so many of his nuke demos, and I'm like, ah, I see it, I see it, I see it. But I just don't know how to do it, too. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to replicate it. Yeah. And I don't feel like, I don't think any, anybody can. Uh, it's a whole other level, right? You said best player on both sides. Best player in the world. Man, everyone's getting unfound. paid to play, and they can't figure out how to, like, nope. him close. It's so cool. You, got, either, you either got it or you don't. Um. And what we don't have, the Blast Fall Finals, is EG. We run it back That's to okay. Kufay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sadly, it kind of is. I, I, I was, I used to be a pretty big EG fan, I think, because, you know, Breathe, Ethan, and Stanislaus at IGL. I thought he was a really good IGL. And that core alone was enough to sell me. And then the pieces around that, like, I like Cirque a lot, too. But Cirque obviously has some problems. Got some consistency problems. His playstyle seems like it isn't evolving, and he's like he does a lot of flicks and just misses really hard sometimes. Uh, it doesn't seem like he has a tracking shot. He doesn't have like a, a a good you know perfect crosshair placement all the time. So he's flicking a ton, and I think that's costing that costs EG some rounds where you're like, man, it sucks that like if you know Cirque doesn't have 15 but 25 kills this game, but he only plays well when he hits all his flicks. It's like that's not good, and also. He kind of overplays in one v ones. I feel like and tries to do something super insanely cool when he he could play it more simply. And it feels like he's always this close. Like you see, you see him thinking and stuff, but it's like he's never crossing that line. So just like throwing caution to the wind at times. Yeah, you know. His best thing is that he's insane movement and he's really really fast. Yes, that is true. Right? Yeah, the movement the movement's a nice one, but movement's one part of of his job, which mm-hmm. is hitting shots at the end of the day. Uh, unfortunately for EG as well, we had somebody who wasn't doing their job and that unfortunately for Dabs, he had to be inside of the server. It's not his job to be pushing buttons, his job to be talking behind the team. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, EG sadly, I think was kind of like a write-off of group A and, uh, and that's why, but they're going to build a, they're going to build a facility in Monaco, which will surely, I mean, anybody who's moving to Monaco yes. for an extended period of time is that, just going to be better at whatever it is they have to do. Something there. in your life will improve. Either you'll get a better 10 or you'll get better at CS, mm. but you can't avoid both. 
One of the two. So you will be happier. At the end of the day. At the end of the day, you will happy, be happier. You know, happiness is a big one. So hopefully EGA are able to bounce back and rebuild. Uh, hopefully we get to see them in more and more European competition. Uh, but but that was that from them. Uh, they fell to Liquid, who also made a run back through the lower bracket of Group 1. Uh, Liquid continued on to face Astralis, who looked really good. I was I was I was pleasantly impressed with Astralis because I thought Vitality were just going to have a field day with everybody else in this group. Um, and ultimately, you know, Vitality did 2-1 in the finals of it, rel- relatively convincingly, 16-10, 16-9 on Vertigo and Dust2, but they lost the first map. You know, they lost Nuke to, to uh, Astralis, mm-hmm. and that made it feel ominous, like it, like maybe it could happen. Uh, but yeah, Astralis were shooting super hot, and I was very pleasantly surprised with Lucky. As we go through the groups, there's going to be a few standout players to me, like in each of them, guys who who we were coming into this with like tempered expectations. We weren't sure what to expect, uh, and the pressure was on them to perform, and they did. You know, to foreshadow, I'm going to talk about Gate as well once we get to the big, the big success story. But yeah, lucky, um, slotting in nicely, and hitting a lot of really nice shots. Yeah, he looks very composed, and he always knows what he wants to do in his one v ones. He was winning a lot of his one v ones. And he looks very fast. Like he looked like an opera, like mm-hmm. a thoroughbred opera. And uh, it just got better as the maps went along. And I think it was versus Liquid specifically, where you know he stole Dust Two away from them um, with his T side. So I think that's that was the first demo I watched when he got signed. It was one of his old trick demos on Dust Two. I think it was one of his best maps. Uh, and I guess it's, yeah, it was cool to see it translate so well to. Uh, playing against a team like Liquid, and and then yeah, and then I remember Stewie after that game tweeted, "We're cursed," and I was like, "Man, it was like thirteen eight at one point or something like that, thirteen seven and I was thinking like, "No, obviously, no way Liquid loses this. They'll they'll stumble over the finish line." But then like, it, like Lucky's attitude just fit really well with Astralis's round by round style. You know, it didn't feel like he was getting shaken at all and grinding back on each of these rounds not making mistakes and then liquid did eventually crumble and i was thinking that's such that's such an astralis moment group b group b who was the standout of group b to me big big, big. i mean big qualifying wow. for their first blast land right they're holding on to their whole 100 success they survived and online officially they've done it and coming into the group i did not have massive expectations for him Gade was the playmaker. Before we talk about his success, do we talk about G2's failure? They didn't qualify. They're now in the showdown with a bunch of other teams, and we know that the showdown becomes very cutthroat, single elimination, no second chances. I don't think that's the kind of format where G2 are 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 likely to succeed. Yeah, it's at the point now where I think earlier in the year I was completely against bringing Nico even on the team, and now I just had don't have I just don't believe in his teammates anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the well has been poisoned. It's completely flipped. Like when I watch them play, I'm like, there's nothing good about this team anymore except for Nico. Like everybody else is just failing crazy. He is playing really well. He's playing as, you know, that perfect balance between for himself and selflessly. I don't have any issue with the way he's fitting into the team at all. But like, man, how much does he have to do? And uh it, it's uh it, after right after the player break, I was like, all right, you know, they had the pro league uh failure. That's one thing is really like right after the break where people aren't playing a lot, but we're past that point. So they need to be playing well. Everybody doesn't have an excuse anymore. And this is to qualify for a huge land. So um, what can you say? It's just disappointing. They need to have they need to have 
they probably just need to have Jax out because he's just more one dimensional than Almanac and have him have an opera come in. Like, okay, a real ultimately, sure. they just need because Almanac is not an elite opera. He's sometimes he's pretty good, uh, sometimes he's horrible, and he's also good at everything else. So he's the perfect utility player. You keep him, and Jax doesn't do half of what Almanac does. So you can just have Jax, who's supposed to be this insane entry fragger. He can be replaced even if Almanac does his job 80% as well as him. Uh, Jax just can't keep up with what uh, Almanac can offer. And they need the opera. So they need the opera. We see Nico try it. That's not going to work. Almanac is not going to be consistently tier one opping. And they can't be a top five team with an opping. And And they they got Nexus calling. And they need to be a top. Yeah, they need to be top one. You know, that's that's their goal. Like, if big say they want to be top one, I'm like, chill. You can try to be top five. Then that's pretty sick. But they like, do you have the talent? They're supposed to be top one. Yeah. You have a player like Nico, you're supposed to be going for top one. Rob Sound Mouse Sports supposed to be going for top one. Navi is supposed to go in top one. Vitality, top one. Anything else, total failure because no one else has a player of that elite on their roster. Sure. Fair. MIBR, unfortunately, again, I just want to touch on these guys quickly because I think I wanted to just shout out to the mentality of Apoka. Uh, this was another team like EG that was facing adversity. You know, it's it's not an ideal situation. And other than that one time they forgot bomb outside of lobby on nuke, you know, that nuke game looked promising. Um, I, I thought, you know, if, if MIBR were able to win a map in this group, even just win a map in this group, then I was going to be pretty pleasantly surprised. Uh, and, and it would have been, I think, well-earned and well-deserved because of just uh, the the energy you know, it's that like always want to win type mentality we got from Apoka. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really wanted them to have it. So I just wanted to say, sorry, MIBR for the for the the difficulties you guys had to face. Um, you have my respect for still stepping up to the plate and trying your guys' damnedest. Doing it with a smile uh, is is something worth noting. And we also need to talk about Nip. You know, we're, we've touched on Group B without talking about the actual winners of the entire group. Wasn't because of Device. Oh, yeah. That, he... Still treading water. Yeah, I mean, he he's definitely had, was better, but it was funny because he was doing better and rifling more, and he looked really sick with a rifle, actually. So uh, he's just he uh, like the the team overall has improved their results. They got the whatever the first or second place at fla- they won Flashpoint. No, they lost Flashpoint to Mouse Sports, um, and they've just been overall better, better team than they were before. More impressive, more worth watching. Their their whole game looks a little bit better, but it, Device just kind of. He kind of gets by on like 60 ADR. Rez is their best player at the moment. Yep. The only one like above or really justifying that that fresh contract. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Rez is awesome. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think that this organization has always had a problem with making their players play their best. Like Plopsky is supposed to be a superstar player. That's not he's not anymore. He doesn't look like it at all. Uh, Rez as well. He's also, you know, super talent. So He's playing pretty well, but never reached that level or consistently. Uh, Device comes into the team, isn't playing well. So I, I, don't, I don't really, I question Threat as a coach. And okay. I, I think uh, Hampus is a decent IGL. I think he's actually a better player than he is an IGL. Because to be honest, I've never been impressed by Nip as a, as a team. Like their system or whatever. They really just don't have anything to talk about. Like uh, the, the way they play is so, it's just so Swedish. Like it's the <laughs> like back in the day yeah. <clears throat> with like saucy NIP and like Fnatic were a very completely random team. Like no one in Sweden played like Fnatic. Just 
JW Flesher. They were just such just a unique bunch of personalities. Yeah. And they had their like crazy ass style, but that they were the only ones. The rest of the Swedes were playing like they're playing like Swee Brazilian or something. That was like fanatic, you know what I mean? But like NIP didn't even have no one even knew who their IGL was in 2013. Like when you were watching their games, like you couldn't tell who was calling. They didn't have any strats really. They just like defaulted and walked around. That's literally what all of the Swedish teams and players do. The Epsilon and like those whatever the you know disco doppler mixes up stuff like that that's they just default and like yeah and that's what nip are like kind of like the best version of that but that's just not a good way to play cs anymore it's so it is so uninspired it doesn't do a good job of drawing grenades no no doesn't apply a ton of pressure it only punishes if your opponent makes mistakes it's really slow it's like just it's like danish but worse so okay they and, and threat hasn't made that difference. That's a tagline, dude. Sweden. It's like Danish, but worse. <laughs> Except Max Burger, best burger in Denmark. But it, threat hasn't made that different. Like he hasn't. Okay. He came okay. into with the NIP lineup, the old guys, and he like showed off all these really sick like cobble executes. Everyone's like, "God damn, threat's a great cro- coach." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, like he used to play. You know, he's going to be the Zonic like for this team." And since those cobble smokes, like I literally haven't seen any innovation on NIP. I, I really don't know, you know, how much he does and. We can only see so much from the outside, but you know, at Hampus has an IGL threat as a coach, and their crazy facility. I don't think it's working. Right, right, right. <laughs> infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they have like you know heated swimming pools and like cryogenic chambers and everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Invisalign on site. I don't know. I think Hampus actually would have made. You're talking about how Fnatic was such like an anomaly in terms of Swedish Counter Strike. Yeah, I think Hampus is one of those like few players in Sweden who would have maybe fit into a Fnatic type vibe. Yeah, uh, because every once in a while we will just see him kind of get weird, get crazy, make a play that his teammates really are caught off guard by. Um, and and I I, I really appreciate that kind of style, right? Be guys who think outside of the box, think outside of the timings. Um, so. I, I will shut out Hampus in that moment, and I think it's good that that is also the guy who is is calling because if he can inject his own, like you said, he's a better player. You think he's a better player than he is an in-game leader. I would love to see him in-game lead the way he plays. You know, I think if he can, if he can, if he can jolt his energy and his and his 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 style and his timings into just the bigger picture for Nip, I think that's where Nip are are gonna you know uh, have a bit more character to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but they ain't doing sh- like. Anything at the major, like Astralis have a better chance of going far at the major than they do. Okay. They just don't have that. X factor. Yeah, they just that don't pizzazz. have that. Like literally if, if, Re- if it, the question is why doesn't Res have help and device is sitting beside him, what is going on? Right. Like, so I'm sure device will probably be their, I'm, I'm going to guess device will be their best player when the major comes when the along. Comes, sure. When the most amount of match pressure comes, device will be their best player, but he has to be, I think. Yeah. To justify it, the whole situation. Well, I think not even that, but he just never hasn't been. You know what I mean? Like, even if he's having an off day, he'll probably just be able to figure it out faster than anybody else. And right. he, he literally just played the most major finals of anyone in history. Think about that. Like, he's, and had never choked. Like, he had like one bad final or something like that. Um, so when everybody else starts to get nervous, he'll, he'll definitely power up. But then it'll be at that point where I think if uh, if it and LNZ like that's another one. I really think he's a great player, and I think ZTR was a great player like immediately. But then they just fell off with NIP. Um, and I want to stop blaming the players. You know, I want to stop blaming the players. I like that. The same thing with uh, that happened with MIBR where they started picking up uh, talent over and over again with you know fallen on fallen's MIBR. And they kept picking up new players to replace Stewie and Tarek, and was just like. Wow, all these players, they were so promising. Everybody wanted them on the team. They finally got on the team. And now they're dog. Why? Why? Is it them? Were they not promising? Or are they not getting enough respect? They're not getting enough space. They're not getting enough help. 
they're not getting enough confidence. Being shaped and molded in the wrong Even direction. Even when I see like Plopsky whiffing sprays, I just think there's something about his circumstances that are is causing him to like not be in it. You know, like either his team doesn't believe in him or he's not getting space or whatever it is. And maybe he is just overrated from the jump. But again, with a track record of so no, no players just becoming better. Wild. Where it's wild, right? As as opposed to with Astralis, where like everyone gets better. So Vitality, where everybody has gotten better. Yes, Vitality is another great example. Yes. We might not have ever been talking about RPK in 2020. We might not have ever been talking about shocks again. We might not have ever talked about Apex again. But that that system is the only other system like Astralis, maybe like Gambit, that has somehow allowed everybody to be good. Yep. Um we can't sit here and say, like, you know, oh, time is time is what's needed because it's vitality's done it faster. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Yeah. They're in shape too. I hadn't the... thought about it like this, but I really like where you're taking this one because it's, it's that, it's that disappearance of promise that is, yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. Yeah. And I dead, dead on, man. I'm sick. I'm sick of blaming the players. Yeah. And it's like, look at like success stories, like automatic went from TSM completely off the radar, like premier player to playing with Valens to a TSM and, no one thought about him, but then Sui saw been uh, playing in ES rank S and was like, damn, this guy's like actually sick. Got him on cloud nine and they literally just went on to win the major, became the best they ever did. Top six in the world, you know, just to change the scenery, change the player completely. And the same with Esetag. He went from tricked off the radar. Astralis saw the talent. They no, picked no, no. him up. He won 11 out of the 12 maps in a row for them to win his first trophy at ESL Pro League. That's mm-hmm. like one of the hardest tournaments you could possibly win. So I, I think there is this... There is always it's always easy to say, all right, this is what happened. Therefore, this is yeah, you know, this is this is who that person is. But uh, there there are, you have to be able to see beyond that. And there are lots of examples of players who uh, you know they're good. Knock is another one, man. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Knock. What happened to him? Yeah, he just he's playing on uh, this team called Poggers. <laughs> That's true. Actually, we have him at the showdown. Yeah, he's playing a mix, so he's going to be on the playing the showdown. He's coming through the uh, dude. He is Middle he Eastern is qualifier. sick, man. How many times have I said like I know that guy's sick? Like sing high praise. I know he's sick, and he had his stats never showed it, and never came to. He never figured it out on NIP. His like things like his opening attempt percentage were like insanely low for no reason. He had like eleven percent opening attempt. Looks like he's being muzzled, being leashed. It's so weird. Either that or just like. He's not good enough to know what he needs to do to get better. And literally no one else on the team does either. Even if they want to, they just don't know how. So I don't think it's because anyone's evil over there. I think it literally is just they just don't know how to do it. Yep, They ain't got a Glaive. They ain't got a Zonic. No matter how bad they want them. No matter how bad they want it. You just touched on Esetag. I think that's a good way to segue into the third and final group uh, here at Blastfall Group. Obviously, complexity. Uh, there was a big question around them, right? Because this was this this kind of last this temporary stand-in of Cold Zera. Um, the formula for complexity was was under question. Yes, they had their little fairy tale moment with NATO Cifix at the uh, ESL Pro League. Um, it was cool to see complexity still be able to to draw success out of a place where they really had been written off. And I think coming here, they were they were being less written off, obviously because they established their success with Pro League. And then it's Cold Zera who's who's stepping in for them. And you know, Cold, I was always I always question moments like this where I'm like, does Cold still want it? You know, yeah. Coming off of Phase, I think he did. When he was in Phase, I think it disappeared a little bit. But the Cold Zera that I saw on the server with complexity is a Cold Zera who wants to win more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked good because I think. 
I think Colts and com- like complexity as a whole, dude, they're playing outside of their roles. When we watched Poison play that T side on Nuke with nothing but the AK the whole time, who was that? You know, like we've we've seen we've seen it before, Please but like God. now it's it's so regular and it's so good that I never at any point thought he was going to be the piece of complexity that was going to be redefining his role, who was going to be stepping outside of his mold um, and just just showing us another level. I thought we saw it too with Coldzera on Ancient playing hard lurks. It kind of allowed for Blame F to be more in the pack with the rest of the team, and that's a, that's a nice look for complexity. I'm I'm very excited, and I never. It's weird because like we don't know who to like who to allocate it to. You know, you've got Peacemaker in there, you've got Coldzera, you've got the combination of those two Brazilians coming in. Um, obviously, Blame F, always hardworking. I'm not gonna sit here and question him at all. Um, so it's just. I was so pleasantly surprised by complexity because I thought that, you know, Navi tops this group. And again, it's not over yet. So, so maybe they don't, but my expectations were Navi tops this group, uh, OG phase complexity, middle of the pack and the possibility that complexity isn't in that conversation. We get the phase OG head to head phase eliminate OG yesterday. Um, and, and OG looked busted up by that. Alexi, I thought he was going to have an aneurysm. Like he just, he looked, he looked he looked sad. Yeah, um, he was just like done in, in map three, and I was like, "Wow, that looked horrible." Like, I uh, I don't know what happened at the. He was even like all the way into the final round. Like, I remember right before they lost on the last round on Ancient, he was still calling right into the last round, even though they could have like won right there. And then I was thinking, okay, like he's still in it. But then by map three, it was just they were just not there on Mirage, and it just honestly. Uh, phase could have cracked too. Like they had, so they had some bad rounds, some tilting ways. They lost. They lost Inferno, even though OG were clearly like the worst team at first. So they could have broken too. But mentally, they were just OG were not there, not on the same level as Phase. Um, and I don't know what they were doing wrong, but they were doing. I don't know why things were going wrong. They were doing so many things really badly, like very out of character. So I'm sure that was just a tilting day. Uh, should we play the uh, see the hashtag interview? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Esetag, uh, I mean, we talked to him the day after the update. So there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. It was a really great update. I think one of the best interviews that we've had for the Push Talk podcast. So um, let's roll it. Patrick. Okay. Honors. I've been playing on your sense since January. 1.4 oh, at 800. Really? Playing the best CS of my life. Oh, really? I wish Dude, I that's, changed that's, to a, that's good. Wish I played to a change to a high sense sooner. Did you all? Always- yeah, I used to. I used to no. This is this is a story. Like I back when I played in Tricked, you know, before Tricked, I was a global elite, you know, with like thirty two hundred DPI coming off my COD years, you know, <laughs> uh, playing like free sense. It was insane. Like you know, one little just touch the mouse and yeah, I'd do like a free sixty, right? Yes. Ready to quick scope them all. Uh, and then Hunan told me you need to lower that. And then every day I lowered it by two hundred until it felt like good. And then that's where I ended up. Oh, so you did the science yeah, for me. Yeah. You found the perfect yeah. sensitivity. Yep. Oh, so okay. Yeah, he's the reason I'm using a high sense. I was gonna say, Lauder's on many casts now, man. Has been <laughs> has been trying to push this. I didn't know it was because of you. Now I feel like it's it's more justified. It's because he's 60 known me with an op, and then I, and then also it's just <laughs> way better than me with K- at KZ. So then I was just like, all right, I need a sense that I can KZ with and DM with, and like not have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, DM is DM is like amazing with that sense. I can get. I can do 2,500 kills and, like, still not, like, have anything with my hand. Yeah, that's the so, thing. Like, no shoulder pain, no wrist pain, nothing. no tendon nothing. pain, nothing. Just ideal Gaming so forever. Nice. Yeah. And so, if you're entering, man, like, that angle, that angle, that angle. Like, it doesn't matter, bro. Yeah. 
Oh, he's behind you. Oh, that. Yeah, exactly. So wait. So what is what is so when you were on Cloud Nine? Obviously, that kind of made you try everything. You you kind of got into a spot where it was like, uh, who's somebody that they're making do everything right now? There's somebody else at in the not on Cloud Nine. No, 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 no not on Cloud Nine. Um, uh, Almanac. That's like a type of player who they kind of has, has tried every role at this point. Like he also was IGL, and then he's now he's trying to op and whatever. And you were basically the guy who everyone you had the reputation for being really, really versatile. But then you weren't they no one let you kind of specialize in anything. They just kind of squeezed you into, you know, whatever role they needed, like on Cloud Nine, for example. So then you did some of the entering, some of the opping. But on uh, Astralis, you were taking over zip spots, you were maybe playing a little bit slower and stuff like that. So uh are you did, was that ever a problem for you? Or were you just comfortable with the amount of like were you did you take pride in the versatility? Or did you wish there was what what's what's the role you were looking for? Like the role I'm looking for is of course the roles that I had as, as like the Cipics roles because I think mm. I feel like those positions allow me to use my brain more. It's a lot less like you know just run and gun kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. it's a lot less like hectic. I think I'm able to feel out timings of when to push, feel out like how my opponent is playing more. Uh, it's one of those like anchoring spots where. All right, if they're coming here, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I need from you, and then mm-hmm. like this is you know I just have a plan always, and that makes it a lot easier for me. Um, that makes sense. I guess those solo spots, like I'm just relying on myself and not anyone else, kind of. I mean, you guys were insane. You had that pro league run on Astralis, like that seemed like the very best way to use you. Um, and that yeah. was that was like obviously that was like the the you know the reason why you were able to get you know the attention to get on Cloud Nine, and yeah. I guess that follow through with complexity. So on the team right now, there's obviously you guys got so unlucky with just the amount of roster moves that have happened. But oh, also, so so unlucky. It's so so unlucky. <laughs> we always repeat it. Like we make sure everyone understands. Like you can't really get more unlucky than having like one like an injury every yeah. four months and like a new player coming in. Um, way before you were there too. Like that's just like the tail. Dude, of complexity, complexity dude. curse just yeah, continues. Curse. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is this? So so with uh, <laughs> it was, it was like J- JKS yourself and. The idea of Cold Zero coming onto the team. I'm not sure when the what the dates were for that. Or is that that's not a rumor, right? That was like actually he's coming in. <laughs> oh, now you're confusing right? me. Oh, am I supposed to keep no, 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 no Don't worry. <laughs> what was it? He's coming in for what? Blast Premier. Oh, yeah. he's coming in for Blast Premier. Yeah. He's he, standing in. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Off of twelve days of practice. Okay, correct? so he's, he's standing in. Okay. Yeah. But we okay, but can you and JKS <laughs> and Cold Zero exist at the same time? I mean, like, and blame math. I'm not. I mean, I'm not lurking. Essentially, like, okay, it's not. I'm usually. I'm like, I am lurking in some of the maps on the sides. Maps but like, lying, the thing lying. is, a lot of the time, it's just you know, it's more set than that. Like, I I would usually be a lot more in the pack. Um, for example, on Mirage, like I would most of the times I would just go back and join the group, or you know, I would try and make a play. But like, it's 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 not like it's not like we're free guys lurking. It's not. It's not how it works, okay. you know. It's always going to be one guy lurking. It's just who is it, right? Um, okay. I think I think people people put roles too much in CS:GO, and I feel like some of those roles are like overblown. Like, mm-hmm. if if you have a good game sense, if you have good aim, like anyone can play Counter Strike. It's just about knowing the strategies, knowing the nades, and you know, calling the right things at the right time. And I feel like I feel like people saying, "Oh, you got free lurkers, you got four lurkers, whatever." Like it's, it doesn't make sense. Like, it's it, 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 honestly, to be real, it's kind of this idea that if Cold Zero is coming on, and then you know, JKS is not like super. And I always remind people, JKS had one of the worst, like also a very unlucky year, and it hasn't been home in so long. And 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 yeah. him and Rush both had a really really tough time. 
um, with the situation with complexity, you know, living out of hotels and all this stuff for so long. Um, but the idea, it just kind of felt like style wise, you know, Cold and JKS might be the kind of player you look for when you're trying to fit a specific need that, you know, maybe that was a, a replacement in the long term. But, and I, I don't know what you can say about this, but, you know, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, it's, it's hard to say. Like, you know, Cold is, hasn't been here for that long either. Like, we're still getting used to him as well. Right. Um, but like I feel like practice has gone well. I feel like we're meshing well. I like I like Cold. Like I expected, you know, him to come in and have like an ego. You know, I've won all these majors. Mm. Uh, I was the best player in two years. But no, he's actually really down to earth. Like he's a really cool guy. I really like him. Um, he just I don't know. He's he he does a lot. Like he 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 asks to do a lot of plays, which is nice. You know, having someone proactive uh, on a team. Mm. Um, there's always something happening. It's it's a. Uh, I think it's actually been really good having him you, you, uh, standing in. He was also famously, at least, I mean, it was like an oh, not an open secret, but it was just something. I guess not a lot of people knew, but I guess all players knew that Cold Zero was a second caller on you know yeah. in the heyday of SK and, and Luminosity, and when they were winning majors, he was doing a lot of the calling. Um, yeah, there was there was like I mean yeah. I, that's I think I think that's essential like that's kind of the thing for all teams. I think the reason why Astralis is so good and was so good is because like a lot of te- a lot of players on that team were able to call their things. Like they played together for so long. Like if they have a play they want to make, they can just call it. Like mm. oh, I, I think ramp is open here because I heard him rotate. Oh, let's go ramp then. Like it, it doesn't have to be so set that you know Glaive has to come with the perfect call every single round. Mm. But the fact that his players around him can call uh, on the on the sides is really important. It's like what you're saying earlier about like you know roles maybe not having to be so defined. Whereas yeah, yeah, has that like skill set you know, like Glaive, playing, Glaive yeah. is the best England leader of all time, and then like you know the free players around him magnifies that. You know, yeah, like he's able to make they're able to make his job so much easier by giving that specific info by saying these things, saying where the op plays. It's really easy to you know to find out where other people are playing if you know where the op is. Like it's just. I mean, it just makes everyone's job so much easier when 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 you have a lot of people calling, yeah, uh, different so, info and stuff to do. And so that's like an added benefit of having you know cold on the team that other people might not be thinking of. That like he's you know known for good input. Does he? Does he? So since he's like new, is he kind of just like listening for a bit, or is he actually contributing on the IGL side as well? Or yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like you know you you bring in again a guy like Nato like. He, I think Nato is more passive in a sense. Like he'll he'll just do what his job is, right? He'll he'll come in and he'll just take over and do do the best he can in those in those specific roles. Mm-hmm. Whereas Cole comes in and he he like takes charge in a sense. Like he he's not afraid of speaking his mind, which is really nice because you need that. You need a guy who doesn't like. We don't expect Cole to come in and be the new config. Mm-hmm. Like we expect him to come in and play uh, play around him in the sense that like we we know you're not going to do the same thing. You're not going to entry and kill the same people as, as config will but we know like what you're capable of and then we're going to play around that and and you know what we want and then he's going to do his best to fill our needs in other ways than config did you know mm. by throwing the perfect flash or by you know lurking out here this time or or by running in with ben at one point like you know depending on what map what where it is like he, he's going to do different things to, to fill out his job that you know config we used to do do you have that same level of of comfort that you had on Astralis and you know you just called Glaive best IGL of all time. I don't know if that's because of accolades, but also because you played with him, so you have like that, you know, on the ground feeling of it. Was what's the what's the feeling like right now? And like how how comfortable were you? Did you just have everything you needed when you were on Astralis? Or did everything just make sense around you? Is there a space difference? I think I think it's just my style of play that made so much sense in Astralis. Like 
the thing is i'm like when i'm playing like i'm really calculated mm-hmm. um like everything i do i do for a reason like i'm never just doing stuff like because oh i don't know what <laughs> doing you know like i always have a reason i'm always doing stuff because someone is shooting somewhere or i have some kind of anti-strat info or like you know there's always a reason behind my plays or if we're down a man like then it's okay to push like I, you know they just have like the same rules that i that i essentially apply to my csgo is like are you pushing somewhere you do it with a teammate you do it because you get a flash you do it because you hear something you have anti-strat like you, you do it for a reason you don't just do it Right, like uh, there's always a reason, and, and it was kind of the the, the essence of Astralis, like w- when we were playing so tactically, and the way we were using grenades, like to to funnel our opponents towards the spot or or to punish them for doing plays, and like there's just so many different tactical aspects that that you know really fitted me in Astralis, which made it really comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Even though most of the roles were totally new for me, I just excelled on at them because I had teammates around me who made me better, and I think mm-hmm. that's the that's the essence, and that's like the you know that's the that's the most important thing about Counter Strike is, is is it's the communication. Like communication mm-hmm. is probably the the biggest part of CS:GO, and it's so underrated. Like the amount of top twenty players that I don't think ever deserve to to hear the you know, t- like to have their name said out on that list. Yeah. Because the communi- communication is absolutely atrocious. I mean, it's right, it's yeah. long, but like you'll never you'll never you'll never see that because you're not on the team speak you're not on the server with us like so yeah people aren't know, allowed to hear it's just, that it's just the way it is it's just the way it is opening thoughts on the updates let's can we say like specifically the grenade dropping yeah. can we get some like oh, I, dude i already put a tweet out as well i'm gonna be okay. dropping smokes like out right. long doors and just you know wait for him to be like oh there's a smoke there and you know try and go get it you know? <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> i mean this is gonna be it's gonna be some next level stuff oh, like okay. people are gonna be buying people are gonna be buying the entire nade set that they can get, then they're gonna be dropping either a flash or a nade and buy an extra one. Like on Dust 2, let's say on Dust 2, you're just gonna drop an nade and spawn every single time and buy a new one. And then when you run back, like you're just gonna grab a free flash for a retake or a free nade or whatever, like you're dropping, you know? Right. It's gonna Using, be insane. Yeah, it's gonna be so many nades. Right. It's be like, Leaving retake utility and spawn. That's yeah. So I mean, fire. it's gonna be insane. If you there have if you have a ton of economy, you're just gonna do that. Uh, okay. And I think. Let me ask, think let me ask you a specific problem. It's gonna problem. be so much easier now. For, uh, for T's and CT's in general. Well, let me like, ask you about win. something specific that everyone is going to ask about. Okay, what about the idea that, you know, uh, Inferno has a, you can re-smoke top banana five times in a row and do that really easily now. Do you think that will be a problem as like a specific example? Um, No, no, I don't. Because I mean, that was the thing before that. Like, I mean, it's going to be easier now in the sense, but like, it's also going to be more, I guess it's going to be more, choreographed in a sense like it's going to be easier to tell like oh it's the same guy doing it because mm. i mean if the smoke is just there on point every single time usually it, it used to be like a guy from b smoking then he walks back to a and the a guy walks back to b like and then you know there's chain smoke in that sense now it's just going to be i guess five smokes and spawn but the same thing applies the guy has to walk back every single time no there's going to be one more a guy on a i guess but if you look for this and just go B or fully execute, like you should be fine. Like it's, they go, they don't have extremely powerful deagles anyways. So like I mean, it's not gonna be two body shots anymore. It's gonna be yeah. what I know a P two fifty, maybe a maybe a Max seven or are you gonna yeah, switch? I don't to I don't even know what you're gonna buy anymore. Like yeah, are you switching to the A one S? I haven't tested it yet. I mean, depending on how much damage we're talking body shot lot, wise, yeah. like if it's a four shot. I think then it's a, yes. Yeah, from, yeah. So they, they increase base. If it's damage. a four shot, then yes, I'm changing. Yeah, it kills um, faster than a four. But if it's a five shot still, no, nope. nah. It's it's. I strong. mean, it shoots way too slow. Yeah, it now has even even with the slower rate of fire than the A four, the A one S has a faster kill to, like a uh, kill time. 
It's four yeah, molecules. Yeah, that's why that's what I'm thinking as well. Yeah. But I think uh it just it just sucks because you know playing with the M forty four like you get the the spray difference yeah, is nice just spray. insane. Like I don't know, like it just feels so weird to spray with the A one S. I think like some of the worst aim fails I've ever had is yes, like yeah, 100%. you know like, I drop him. We you know we called it we call it in Danish like the sausage because it's like it's it's you know. <laughs> I don't know. You just sure. got the little socks at the around, end yeah. there, yeah. or or a gift, you know, you know, a little present there. You get a little <laughs> present. Uh, it's just, I mean, when you when you shoot with that one, you spray it like, oh, dude, it's just insane. Like if you, I, I, every single time, I have nightmares with that gun. Like I just I just tap it always. Uh, okay, just, so I'm just like I'm like a, I'm like Nico in a clutch. I'm just tapping every single good, time. Good, good, good. No way. Well, you got insane aim. So okay, listen, like we've got the RMR coming up. It's also the 35 days to the major. Like overall, what's the feeling amongst some other players and yourself about like the update coming out when it does? Or is everyone kind of the, what do you think? Like the feeling going into the RMR is a question like, are they going to use these settings? Are you going to, is there enough time to do the server work and just the theory to get ahead? Do you have any sympathy for players who complain about the update coming right now? Right, yeah. Also that. I mean, I, I do agree. Like the, the update is timed. Yeah. But I'm also of the view that like, an update is better than no update. Yeah. Like there's some change is better than no change. A new map is better than new no new map. Yeah. Like I like change because it, it it I think it it works in the favor of the hardworking yes. and not so much in the ones that just you know sit back and you know done the same thing for four years, right? Mm -hmm. Like the the guys who don't innovate at all. Mm -hmm. And I really like innovating, so I, I'm I'm just pumped about this new update. Nice. I don't really care where it, when it comes. Like if it had come the day before the major, I wouldn't have cared. Like even if we had to play with it, like. Yeah, this is solid. Let's do it. Let's let's work hard on everyone else and and use that to our benefit. That's what know? I like to hear. Man, I was literally thinking that's like a Jason Lake type attitude. That's dude. It, yeah. That's why you're on complexity. So I was thinking like, okay, there's like R two, someone who I always I always look for Furia when I see new maps or new changes for them to like come up with some new smoke or something like that. Uh, Big R, another one who innovate a lot on a lot of maps that are pre existing. Um, I expect you know Astralis to bring a lot of innovation or try new stuff. Who are the some of the teams besides your own that you feel like are going to take the update by the horns and really like bring a lot of change or that ones that you'll try um, to watch. I mean, I think Gambit as well. Gambit, Gambit as well. Tree. I mean, there's, I think, I think if you look at the lower teams always, like there's some of those that, you know, find some really innovative stuff. I mean, Entropic. I think, I think they might, I think they might be doing it in practice be like, you know, playing some <laughs> team and be like, oh, this is really good. And then they do it. Right. And, right. I mean, it's kind of hit or miss, but like, I think, I think Alex is also good at innovating. Like he, he mm. does a lot of new stuff. I think he will bring some new stuff as well in Fnatic. And um yeah, I mean I mean a lot of the lower teams, like I guess Entropic or like, you know, those those type of teams, those tier around teams, like mm. I think they, they bring some good stuff as well. So like watch out for those. Cool. All right. Well, we've already gone way over. Uh we only need you oh. for fifteen minutes, but I'm down to play the whole interview on the podcast. Yo, if you need uh a Sans M4 skin, hit me up. Send me a trade offer. I'll lend you one. Oh, okay. Okay, right. bro. But don't right. my I mean, uh, that, is, that is actually one of the better things. Like, the, there's yes, the skin that the M4 everyone has yeah. has always been fire, but it's always been like, oh, the gun is sh dude. Yes. There's no yeah. way we're using that. Yeah. But yeah, that was actually, that was actually solid, though. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sprays might not impress anybody, but at least our skins always will. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, S yes. Thanks for your time today, man. Actually, genuinely very appreciated. Excellent interview. Oh. And uh, good oh, luck, good. man. Good luck with the new update. Thanks for having me. Right. Yeah, thanks. Cheers, See, you, bye. thanks. See you guys. I like his opinion that the update is going to make it lazy teams fall off and teams that work hard will uh, 
basically I rise up or stay on top. And there's like a few IGLs that come to mind. Uh, Art, Tabson, you know, Alexi, where, or Glaive, uh, Naphany, all these guys I think are, are going to grab the meta by the horns. And, and some other teams I expect will copy a lot of things. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be them. And uh, obviously the update is so interesting. I think mostly because of the dropping of grenades. That's like, I mean, it's. I'll tell the story again. I mean, we played the short game on Mirage, which first of all is super fun to play these short games. And I saw it post like a thousand upvotes that said, I'm interested in competitive again. We have been playing here in the green room and we played with uh, Maui, myself and, and Scrawny and, and played on Mirage. And there was one round where I had a, t- uh, a spawn for a ramp to run out a ramp to scrim out a, and Maui was behind me. And I bought a flash and an AK and then Maui bought a smoke and an AK and we spent all our money. And I was like, yo, can you bang me out a ramp? And then uh, you just kind of need one flash to do that. And then I looked at Maui and he had a smoke. He's like, oh, I got a smoke. And I was like, oh, well, I can just give you my flash. And I literally pulled out my flash and dropped it to him. And that was awesome. Yeah, that was such a cool moment. So I'm super hyped for the dropping grenades thing. And I think that uh, it's so much more than just dropping 10 flashes at a ramp and then doing one of those stupid excuse dude first of all if someone does that every round they're not going to win that's it's so that's work. such garbage exactly. gameplay exactly. and it's even when they do it once it's it looks so ugly so and people like msl are jumping to huge conclusions where they're like there's no risk what do you mean there's no risk there's always a risk either you're sacrificing utility from someone else because there's still a zero sum the same amount of utility on the map uh or you're using time on the map to drop grenades somewhere and not watching something. There literally is, uh, there is a risk every single time. You can't just send the, you can't buy them in spawn and keep them on one person. You can't throw them to the other side of the map. You have to be there. And if you are there as well, you can also use that utility at the same time. It's not even that strong in that sense. It's not OP. It's, it's, not it's a, it's, there will be ways to use it that, that is going to work. Yes. That, but to say that, oh, just because you can drop grenades is OP is so short-sighted. It's so lazy. To me, it's so reactionary. And it's so reactionary. And I'm sorry if you have the ego that you think you can see all the eventualities on day one, but you don't. You, you just can't. And there will be teams that figure it out. And the teams that figure it out are going to win a lot. It's actually awesome for anybody who isn't Navi. If I was simple, I'd be <laughs> fuming. Right. I would be so mad. Yeah, yeah. You're finally on top. You're Because, yeah, the like they have worked hard to get to number one. They figured out how to play this game. And this is the only thing that can allow people to potentially get back at them if they don't think of everything. So I would hate that if I was simple, for sure. And I think that's fair. But for everybody else, everyone else who's complaining, like MSL, who literally isn't even playing on a team right now, is complaining about the, as an IGL, about a chance to be able to get farther than everyone else who will have the exact same tools as them. If he thinks he really has that much, much of a brain, he should be excited. Uh, and if he's not, he's just lazy. This is this is the best chance that people have to redefine themselves, to redefine what it means to play CS. And, you know, me, I had, you know, because my gut instinct, like so many other people, was this thought of like, well, yeah, just just put all the nades in a pile and, and throw them one after another. Like, again, that's obviously that's the initial reaction because that's the it's the it's the easiest conclusion to come to. I saw a video of a guy playing CT spawn on Dust2 holding mid doors and he had an incendiary. He looks over towards the window of B bombsite. Again, dust two. Looks in the sky, drops his incendiary, hot swaps back to the AK, and shoots the grenade like a clay pigeon, sending the incendiary into the back of the B bombsite. He he just he just air delivered it into the site. Now, whether or not we change the physics, 
if you don't like the thought of that being a part of the game, that's great, no, dude. It's it's skill too. Sure. You can't just yeah. You got to. I mean, it's it's smoke. So it, it's a it's a lineup, right? You can every everything utility based that has been a lineup for for the existence of this game. Lineups were only to throw. You're now going to have lineups to deliver utility to different parts of the map. Hey, rotate back a, a little bit. I can shoot this. In, I can shoot this smoke into the moto so gap of like Inferno. On top of the rest of fake flashing. Uh, I'm so for it. Yeah, I really great. am. And again, like my brain would have never, never conceptualized that possibility. I never thought about the interaction of shooting grenades until I saw it for the first time. And again, this is something that is, is relatively quick, right? We're, we're going we're gonna to be piecing together all these new looks and we haven't seen it on competition yet. That's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to see which teams just, again, it's so hard to shake up the status quo sometimes when, when teams are dominant, right? When, when you have a, when you have a, when you've got the likes of Navi at the moment and you can't close that gap, everybody else should be happy that they have this chance. And, and I, I, I lose respect for people who are just stuck in old ways. You know, uh, Nico disliked it as well. Um, and I think to myself, like, how can you, how can you have this such team has enough problems? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can, I can understand like tempered expectations. I can understand being like wary. I can understand thinking that maybe it needs to be changed. You know, let's say for example, just for argument's sake that it ends up being too weird or too overpowered to be able to shoot grenades across the entire map. You can make grenades heavier. We can play with the physics of the game. It can be, it can be, you know, shortened. It can be changed, but to just come into it and just, you know, scoff, turn your head and say, no, man, you gotta, you've got to give it a chance. That's when you've lost. You have twice. to be excited that CSGO has its biggest shakeup, the biggest competitive shakeup to the meta in years, yeah. man. Not to mention the shortest period of time between operations since 2016. Good changes, changes for everybody. We can sit here and talk about the update in terms of grenade dropping for as much as we need to. But this had a sick amount of content just for, for you know, for the more casuals who are here for the PTT. All right. Uh, so why don't we... Of content. Let's do the bomb has been planted, a debate, a quick one, about whether or not the PT-50 is better than the dualies. Right. One of the changes, and dualies down to 300. I will take the PT-50. All right. Bomb has been planted. Go. The P250 is still going to reign supreme, number one, because it doesn't have that cockeyed view model that makes it feel uncomfortable to use dualies. Plus, you don't have two guns sticking out. Uh, plus, you are it's still very good, like uh, accurate at range, better than a USP. Can one-shot headshot up close. Um, it's a classic. It's something that people don't want to go away from. It looks better with skins. The, the actual gun model looks goofy with dualies. Um, dualies, uh, do, no one wants to get a dually ace. Everyone wants to get a PT50 ace. Looks way better. Uh, simple DMs with P250s. He's not going to start DMing with dualies. Not a bad take. Doesn't one tap one, 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 one tap headshot anymore, longer at all? Past, up close, bro. up close, it does. It, yeah, it's point, just like point, point, it's point? like 200 units or something. Oh, you have to get lucky though. It's like that. Oh wait, no, maybe not. Maybe it's only five sevens. Well, you see, I wouldn't know because me, I'm a dualies player. Mm. Why am I a dualies player? First and foremost, mathematics. Two guns better than one simple actually 30 bullets 30 bullets and decent armor penetration 
Okay, enough to actually stop rushes as a counter terrorist. With three hundred dollars, you can drop two sets of Berettas, right? Two Berettas plus Kevlar in your pistols for the CT side. Finally, when those damn Glocks come running out of apartments, jump out into your A site. I'm talking boop boop boop. You can just stop so many people in their tracks. And even if you're not killing them, you're tagging them, you're slowing them down, you're softening them for the for the beautiful beautiful one tap USP headshots. The only reason you shouldn't use Berettas, and I I have to I have to downsell them, is because then you don't get those crisp. USP taps. That's the only wrong thing about the dual Berettas. They're far superior to the P250 in every single way, and you're never going to go to the P250 again. Eh. No, I'm just kidding. I think that was a really good argument, and I agree. Dual Berettas are better. 30 bullets? Is it? 30 shots. Oh, man. There's no reason to use anything else. 30 shots. You can't even buy a Deagle in good conscience now. 30 shots? There it is. You too. can just run back and forth across men on Inferno spamming yeah. through a smoke until you eventually hit someone. Yep. You will. The one again to be realistic uh, and not not overly you know romanticize the duelies. I do think that uh, one of the things with the P two fifty is because you have less bullets. I think you take your time to aim, and that's something with pistols that is actually like a really a really strong component. With sometimes dual Berettas, that's so true. You just start spamming and trying to control the recoil, exactly, and that's when it gets away from you. That's so true. Yeah, so you have to be you have to be uh, you got to be safe with your with your Berettas. But when in the hands of experts, in this case, I think we're going to see a lot more players start practicing with dual Berettas. And once they get good with these things, they're going to be strong as hell. Yeah. Strong as hell. Unlike the Desert Eagle. This was a called for nerf. I think the Desert Eagle was something that a lot of people wanted to see kind of toned down a little. Still smacks you in the face. You know, it's it's the skilled pistol, right? It's the it is the hand cannon. Those long range headshots is not in question. That's not the part of the Desert Eagle that has changed, but the kind of shotgun type style of just sticking it to the gut, the two the two shot body shot kills has been taken out. I like that change. This is the sixth episode, the sixth set of hot takes, and for the very first time, we're actually keeping ourselves in check. That's right. We're going to revisit some of the hot takes that we made last episode and see how hot or cold we truly were. I said that Twists would be the highest rated player of Group 3 at the Blastfall Groups. Turns out, after the first day of competition, he was 13th. I said, Astralis, we're going to win their group without dropping a map. Very bullish on Astralis. They lost four maps, but they came second. Not too bad. Could be worse. I said that EG were going to do better than Liquid. They dropped out with a single map win and in dead last place. I said, uh, I can't remember what else I said. Probably a bunch of boo hucky. Yes, but uh, a lot of things were not super right. But just because the past said one thing doesn't mean the future will. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean anything, okay? That, that we still have a valid opinions. We're going to prove it today with some more hot takes. Um, we just got an update. So my first hot take is going to be that 95% of CSGO players in the pro scene will be using the silenced M4. 95 is a lot. The M4A1S is pretty stellar. Five. 96. 7. Infinite. Percentage. I can't beat that. Realistically, I think more than half. If I had to put my name on the line, more than half of the players moving forward are going to start switching to the A1S. The gun is absolutely perfect. Nobody's going to buy a P250 again. Because they're going to buy dual Berettas. Because they're going to buy dual Berettas. Every CT round will now feature one set of armored dual Berettas. Okay, what's the percentage? Let's do this. In the pro scene, by the showdown, what percentage of players have bought the dual Berettas over the P250? Or who have bought it on a pistol round? 
80% of players will buy Berettas over P250. No, no. On the pistol round. 100. Every player will buy a dual Berettas on the pistol round? Is that what you said? No. Every... No, no. What's the percentage there are of players that will buy dual Berettas on the pistol round? One player will buy two pairs 100% of the time. Or one player will buy one pair 100% of okay, the time. Okay, 10% of players will buy yes. the dual Berettas on the pistol round. I will say... 20. Okay. That's reasonable. They're pretty strong. They are. They yeah, are. I think they're very good at just being like that one guy who's going to get ahead of a rush. Uh, if, if, you know, if there's that classic five terrorists stuck together Glock rush type strategy that you're anticipating, then the player who's tasked with holding that, the front line, is going to go for the dual Berettas with armor. I think that's going to be very, very prevalent. Stop in the analyzing. Huh? I think G2 will not make playoffs of the major. That's a hot one, because the Major will be held on LAN, and I think that G2 may look a little bit better there. But I also don't believe in G2. Not right now. Sorry, Carlos. I do believe in Na'Vi, and I think that Na'Vi will win the next Major. Na'Vi will win the next Major. Certified seal of approval. This is going to be a frictionless hot take, so we have no disagreements. I believe that at least one round at the Blast Fall Showdown, will be impacted, if not won, because a player drops a grenade and shoots it with a gun, sending it to his teammate so that he will use it in order to prevent a push or delay a push of some sort. That's right. The physic interaction, or not physic interaction, the interaction of physics between grenades and bullets will impact a round at the Blast Fall Showdown. I saw it on Reddit. Imagine a kid sitting down at the dinner table. Mom, I saw it on Reddit. You have to believe me. I saw it. I think 9Z will win. Okay, I said before the whole thing. Two, I'll, I'll say 9Z will win two, ter- two best of threes at the showdown, which means they'll eliminate two teams. A step up from last time. I agree with that because I like 9Z. You know why I like, like 9Z? Because I like Try. I'm I mean, a like Max. big fan of Try. And uh, I think that Try will be one of the 10 highest rated players at the showdown. Okay. I, oh, yeah. The only tough part is if he only plays two games, then he'll have a low map spawn. So you just have to play really well on a couple maps. See? I fudging the numbers. OG will win the showdown. Ooh. Ooh. One of two spots. Yes. 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 They'll make finals of the showdown. And Team Liquid will take the other. That's cap. MSL will never play on another professional team. True. You didn't disagree. Salaried? Oh, like salary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he'll get one more. He'll get one more. One more shots. He'll get one more. He's got to accept the grenades dropping are here to stay. Yes, he does. All right. Thanks to our sponsors, Epos, for making this podcast a reality. This episode's brought to you by the Epos H6 Pro. The Epos H6 Pro is the successor to the Game Zero and the GSP 600 series, and it's perfect. Uh, for CSGO and competitive gaming. What I love about this headset is that it takes some of the weight off of the previous models, and on top of it, looks better than ever. Three separate color waves, you've never seen that gold trim. You've never seen those all whites. This is a fresh EPOS, this is a stylish EPOS, and it's the best EPOS that we've ever been able to offer. Cosign. Thank you guys for joining us again for the Blast Push the Talk podcast. As always, you can catch us on any ad app that you can listen to podcasts on. And we're always looking for feedback as well as reviews. Reviews are good. 
Only five stars, though. Only five stars. Actually, you're not allowed to say that, I don't think. But you can leave a review. But if it's not five stars, I won't read it. Okay. <laughs> but you can leave any star you'd like. But if it's not five, I'm not looking. Anyways. Thanks, guys. episode please leave us a review on itunes Welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex, and I'm here with the usual crew. I am Natasha. Natasha, hello. I hear you're a gaming fanatic. I really am. It's everything I hoped for in my mid-20s. Exactly. And Danny, I hear you actually used to write games in basic and assembly back in the day. I did. I actually had an amazing RPG I built on a TI-86 graphing calculator during calculus class um, that allowed you to... It Actually, you, you could explore a city. A small village. There, there was two NPCs, and they only had three responses, and they all had led to the same response. It wasn't a particularly good game. And those two NPCs were Danny's first two friends. Now, today, <laughs> today, as you can tell by my relatively hacky intro, we are talking about the world of gaming. And we're talking about the world of gaming from two main perspectives, one of which is from the big tech angle, platforms, ecosystems, take rates, and all that good stuff. And actually how Amazon made a game people like? Who would have thought? And from the other perspective, all about startups. Startups that are working to build games, both from complex all the way down to the very, very simple. It's an interesting world at a fun time. But Natasha, to give us some framing for why this matters now, talk to us a little bit about numbers. Yeah, so if you're like me and you don't pay attention to gaming often, know that it is massive and it's making a lot of money. So we're late and I'll help you catch up. So New Zoo 2021 data says that global gaming consumer spend will total $175.8 billion this year. And then to give you context on why that's a big deal, we, we got another report that said that industry global revenue from video games is expected to almost double to $198 billion in 2024 compared to 2016. So it's not just getting bigger, it's getting bigger in comparison to the past. And to end, obviously, ventures starting to notice as well. Venture-backed companies in the gaming space have raised nearly $5.9 billion in funding so far this year, which surpassed how much they've raised in 2020 and 2019 and is approaching 2018 levels. Right. So rising venture capital sums, enormous global spend, bunch of that going through the mobile world. Danny, this is leading to uh, people from all over the tech world to pay a little bit of attention. So tell us about the investing firm that we can all name and what they're up to. That's right. So we're talking about the Triple A, which is also the name of the high quality games and also the three players that are redominating the video game landscape. So first up, we have Andreessen Horowitz, which I got to be honest, uh, you know, they've become a asset manager. That's what they yes. want to do. They want to raise AUM. And so they theoretically have a new gaming fund, which doesn't have anyone to run it. <laughs> and it must be an amazing place to be that you can just raise capital 
for theses and initiatives without having any team or any person to run it. But what we've heard from from Protocol and some others that they're raising a, a dedicated gaming fund that's in line with some of the other uh, folks in the industry, firms like Convoy Ventures, that's Convoy with a K, which invests in video game middleware. Um, and basically it comes from Andreessen's investment in Roblox, which turned them a nice little tide of money over the last couple of years. And just yesterday, Andreessen announced that they had invested in Axie Infinity, which is an NFT gaming marketplace at a $3 billion yeah. valuation. So it seems like either out of this fund or out of one of their many funds, funds. yeah, they're, they're starting to actually spend in the category meaningfully. In addition to Andreessen, we have Amazon. So Amazon this week, or I guess last week, launched its New Worlds game. So for the last couple of years, Amazon Studios has been trying to produce a, a good game, any game, really anything that anyone wants to play, <laughs> has not done well. Crucible and a bunch of other titles have sort of flopped. Last week, New Worlds got a little bit of positive critical attention, although I was on Metacritic this morning, and let's just say that the People's Choice Award is not going to go to the game as of right now due to some login issues. Um, but it's a massively multiplayer online game into the fantasy space, and and it's a huge deal because Amazon a couple of years ago obviously bought Twitch. It's a huge player in the video game streaming space. And now it is trying to find a streaming game online to complement its other offerings. Yeah. And I'll just throw in here that it's so funny to me to watch Amazon bake Prime into things that I use because to me, Prime is that thing I check into at Whole Foods and that occasionally I use to like watch something for free on Amazon, you know, or maybe it's shipping, but I feel like that's kind of baked into e-commerce now. And they're like Prime rewards for New Worlds players. And I'm like, oh, shit. it's the the same thing. I, I wonder what Prime's going to become and why it fits into gaming and groceries. But apparently Amazon knows something that I don't. Anyways, Danny, Apple, what's going on with them? Well, the third AAA is obviously Apple. And Apple is is one of these companies no one thinks of as a gaming company, right? I, I've been a Mac user for 15, 16, 18 years. No one thinks of Mac as a video game platform. But let's be clear, the iPhone and the iPad most definitely are. Apple had operating profits from gaming of $8.5 billion from 2019. We learned that from, the, I believe, the Epic trial. And that's more than Xbox, Nintendo, Blizzard, and PlayStation combined. And most of that is driven from the fact that the App Store itself has an 80% operating margin, which has to be among <laughs> the most um, in, insane amounts of money. That's maybe an argument for why 30% take rate is maybe perhaps a tad high, given that there's a monopoly and there's no competition. Um, but clearly, Apple has also tried to make Apple Arcade into a major video game streaming platform, competing with the Epic Store, Steam, Amazon Prime services, the list goes on. Who would have thought that out of nowhere sort of Apple is becoming kind of the dominant player in the video game universe? Yeah, Alex, I know you spend so much of your time with video games. Like how shocked were you when you saw the, <laughs> the well, numbers? Well, that is why you only publish there. three times a day, Alex. <laughs> Alex, I hear you're an enormous dweeb. Now, please explain to me what's going on. Um, sorry, that I, I was too busy being insulted to hear your question. Can you throw that at me again? <laughs> No, you're totally fine. I, I feel like the common refrain I've been hearing ever since we first saw Apple's numbers and its amazing operating margin is that we've never thought of Apple as a gaming company. But yeah, I'm curious yeah, if yeah. you agree with that or if you if you knew all along. Well, I mean, look, when we started off the show, I made a joke about PCs and a little bit of a riff about PlayStations and other consoles. And those are the platforms where more serious gamers go to play more serious games, the AAA games that Danny is talking about. But what we have to keep in mind is like the average gamer, and I forget the actual statistic, but it's something like the average gamer is roughly like a 43-year-old woman on a smartphone because that's the biggest gaming category out there. And if you go back to the, the earlier data points, Natasha, I think 103 billion of the 
roughly 200 billion is expected by 2024 in gaming spend is going to be mobile. So half. And you think about who controls the mobile gaming space in the United States, it's two people, it's Google and it's Apple. And so to see Apple be this big of a player is only a surprise if you don't really know the demographics of, of the gaming world. It's it's like Candy Crush wasn't just a hit in the gaming world. It was a phenomenon in the population, right? And so games like that can really kind of go across demographic lines and show just how popular gaming is with everybody. Well, I think one of the things you learn as you go through more of tech is, is gaming ends up being the dominant use case for almost every platform. You know, back on when I was at Google+, gaming was an enormous priority precisely because it was going to add engagement. People are going to come back regularly. They're going to connect with friends. Um, you look over at app stores. How often do you buy a note-taking app? Maybe once every two years. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that shows that basically no one spends money on app stores that much anymore because they have the apps they want. Some folks might have a subscription to 1Password or some other kind of consumer SaaS services. Um, but for the most part, you're not buying hundreds of dollars worth of apps on a regular basis for your phone. That is not true in the gaming world, where yes. people not only buy the game itself, they're buying skins, they're buying hats, they're buying all kinds of uh, ephemera at very high prices, with some will spending thousands of dollars per year. And so when you're looking at the future of these app stores, Gaming becomes the key growth area where you say, look, that's where people spend their money. Yeah. Therefore, we got to serve those customers better. So what I'm hearing is there's a significant difference between a gamified app and an actual video game with all the bits and bobs. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think that like the app, people have learned how to gamify applications. I've been doing that for a long time, but just straight up games are just such a big component of of the application world. So it's kind of like, you know, the old joke, like the internet's for porn. I think like the application world's for games and people just love them. And to Danny's point about people spending money, I mean, think about League of Legends, which is a free-to-play game. Uh, it's been popular around the world for, in gaming terms, 600 years. And they make money off of skins and other kind of in-game content. And I, I will I will admit, I don't play LOL anymore because I've moved to more complex games. But like, I have spent probably 50, 100 bucks on LOL skins in my life because it was fun. So nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I'm just one person. They have tens right. of millions of players. And so it does add up, you know, pretty quickly. Well, I do think what's interesting, and we've seen this transition obviously over the last decade, but it's only accelerating into the 2020s, is this move from the pay one-time fee for video games into this kind of streaming model. So, you know, if you go back to the, rewind to the 90s or even the early 2000s, you bought a CD, you bought media, you bought it in a box, you went to a store, and those $50 games used to be split half-half to the publisher, $25 you know, dollars would go to them, and $25 would go to the retail store, the Best Buy, the Circuit Cities, uh, the Micro Centers, whatever the case may be. Office Max. Um, Office Max, uh, where the where the office deep. I don't remember the slogan. Um, but over time, <laughs> what people have learned is that you want users to come into the game and get hooked. You know, I think we first saw that a little bit with Zenga. We saw that with some of the Facebook-oriented apps, so Angry Birds and others. And as people went on, people realized, well, a recurring revenue source from folks who are willing to spend ten, twenty, fifty, a hundred dollars a month is far more valuable than trying to sell a single box in a store one time. So when we're looking forward and you're looking at some of the companies that are getting into the gaming space, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, they're all approaching it from the streaming model, which is we want recurring revenues from customers to keep coming back to the store, to keep engaging, and to keep spending money. And just to explain this a little bit more, it's not like there's one way to make recurring money off of games. One example from from my world lately is Paradox Games makes Crusader Kings 
and other kind of similar games. And they launch the base game. They charge you like 50 bucks for it. And then over the next three or five years, they just keep building large expansions that you pay 20, 30 bucks for. And I'm currently counting down until I can give them money for the Royal Core expansion to Crusader Kings 3. Paradox Games, please announce the release date. Everyone's dying. <laughs> Alex I took the mic. Your, I keep reading your <laughs> damn dev diaries, which are so tasty. And yet there's no release date. Also... Paradox has taken its DLC strategy for mature games and converted them to a subscription system. So if you play Crusader Kings 2 and want to get access to all the DLC from over the years, you can just pay them five bucks a month, which I think is awesome. So we're seeing a number of ways to turn games from episodic incomes into recurring incomes. And I'll add one last bit that really interested me when I was doing research for the show, which is that we're seeing brands really look at games as potential marketing channels, as Facebook and Instagram, not to bring them up, become super crowded Fashion brands are advertising in League of Legends, apparently, like Louis Vuitton apparently dressed up a cast of characters in old designs. And we obviously had Travis Scott show up in Fortnite as well. So this all to me makes me feel a lot like we're de-risking it for investors down the road, as long as we can prove that games are not these things that are popular for a month and then disappear forever. Well, and we really shouldn't be surprised that brands are targeting games, right? Because that's where younger players are. I mean, Mm -hmm. all brands want to target younger users, those who don't have their preferences set. Um, That's one of the big debates on Capitol Hill right now on, on Instagram, is that a lot of advertisers are obviously targeting young children with the goal of trying to lock in um, those early preferences and tastes of those users. The same thing is happening to to Fortnite. I mean, if you're looking to uh, attract the future Louis Vuitton customers in their 30s and 40s, you're actually looking to make them popular in your teens. You want them to aspire to have a career and to have the kinds of cash to be able to purchase these things down the line, of course, unless your parents are already buying it for you in your teens, in which case, F you. Yeah, yeah. And, and to summarize kind of where we're going with this, like as games have become more viable as a recurring business, they become a little bit more venture capital friendly, if you will. And that's probably why we're seeing more capital flow into startups that are working on this. And Danny, just for folks who haven't heard it 18 times, tell me why traditionally venture capitalists didn't like to invest in gaming studios. Well, it was a very punctuated industry, right? So again, go back to the box model. You spend four or five years developing a game. You put all this money in. In recent times, that's tens of millions of dollars. The top AAA games a day cost $100 million. And then you plop your box on the shelf or on Steam and it kerplunks and you're at $100 million and you lost all of your cash. So venture capitals hate this model. It's why they weren't in content. That's why they never really engaged with Hollywood. Most media, including our media, including text news is, is the same way, right? We have a big investigation. We spent six months doing, you know, that's worth a lot, but then you don't really know what how the public's going to react. So as the industry has migrated from that kind of punctuated one-time sales model to a recurring revenue model, it both feels like SaaS, it is SaaS, and people feel, I, I, you know, investors are feeling much more confident in investing in those sorts of companies, mostly because I would argue League of Legends, Fortnite, Roblox have shown that these companies do not have the same level of fashion trend sense. You know, it's not the sense that you only have a six month window to be successful and then the game is is dead. These are now recurring platforms where people are spending, you know, ample hours every week and they aren't going away. It feels like it's not as easy, though, to build a video game startup than it is a SaaS startup these days based on like the level of innovation you have waiting for you to take advantage of. Like Mm. games still feel like an art to create, super complex. I mean, they have their own soundtracks. There's so much there that to me, it still feels like the early lift of building could be something that VCs are scared of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of technology out there, like Unity, gaming engines that lets you kind of like leverage existing tech to, to build games. But Natasha is right. I mean, just 
go back to my favorite game, Crusader Kings 3, in the latest dev diary that dropped today, they showed off how they approached music for the expansion, which involved hiring a symphony. You know, like, like that's not cheap to do. Right, and, and that's kind of standard. But I will say there are some companies out there that are taking the exact opposite approach that are building kind of like almost like disposable games. And one of those is uh, what's Kyle Russell startup? Playbite? Is that what it's called? Yeah. I think yeah. it's called Playbite. Yeah. And he's trying to build what he calls the TikTok of games, which is, look, instead of having immersive graphics and amazing audio and storytelling and hiring a staff of writers, what if you made a really quick, easy little fun game and that was you know, the approach to it. And given how much we know casual gaming is huge, maybe that's the way forward. And so I, I think we often get a little bit stuck in the gaming world of like hundred million dollar games, but not every film that comes out is the next Marvel, right? That's Sometimes there's smaller things. And I think given steam and so forth, there is a market for those as well. And that could make the startup game different. I see why Netflix has gotten involved in this now. Uh, oh, Netflix, <laughs> can we talk about how that's not going to be good? No, I was going to emphasize, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the concern over the cost of games is, is actually reaching the, the highest level. So Sean Layden, who was uh, until recently the president of, of Sony's Games of Vision, described in an interview to Bloomberg last month that, quote, Game development seems to double in cost every platform, he said, uh, noting that his budgets for recent big PlayStation 4 titles each hit $100 million. And then, quote again, if we can't stop the cost curve from going up, all we can do is try to de-risk it. That puts you in a place where you're incentivized toward sequels, and he predicted that PS5 games will be about $200 million each to produce. I actually think that this is one way to get around this, right? Is in gaming, it's oftentimes about the mechanic. You can actually reuse a lot of those mechanics from game to game. And a lot of it can come down to actually fairly simplistic aesthetics. Uh, I, I actually see a little bit more of a revolution. You've seen this mostly with Roblox, maybe because it's with kids, but like Roblox doesn't have the best graphics. It's not an mm. incredible environment where every everything is pixel perfect. In fact, quite the opposite. They've chosen intentionally to create an aesthetic that opens the platform up for creators to be able to fit right in, even if they're not the best artists or the best producers. And I think we're going to see more of those sorts of models going into the 2020s. You know, Sony could uh, solve some of those problems by opening up their platform and being more interoperable with other systems, but they're not going to do that because they don't want to. And so they have to have smash hit titles to drive consumer interest in buying the next generation consoles. And so, yes, the costs are going up. But if you hoist yourself on your own petard, you don't get to complain about, you know, having a steak chef through you. It's your own damn fault. So I don't have any pity for that whatsoever. Um, also, indie games have shown that you can make incredible games with limited budgets. Yeah. I mean, like, just think about games. Well, I mean, I'm not going to go through a list of things that I like. That's boring. But, like, there is a way to do this. With <laughs> Stardew our, Valley, and, apparently, was a Kickstarter Well, there you go. Stardew game. Valley is a good one. That, that, yeah. That's... And I, feel like I, I was going to throw out Hades. That's the uh, dungeon crawler, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Stardew Valley, by the way, if you don't know what Stardew Valley is, you can emulate this in your own home. Go plant a garden <laughs> and then beat yourself <laughs> with a rake and then go into debt and then owe someone like seashells and mushrooms. That's Stardew Valley. I do it's not delightful. understand that game. It's like, it's, like, it's like farm simulator, but worse. For those of us <laughs> who don't live in Rhode Island, we don't have yards, Okay. This is all we have. <laughs> I mean, they don't really have land in Rhode Island either. Have you seen the size of the state? But nonetheless, I've, I'll, another I'll Rhode Island know, joke. We grew a cucumber this year in the backyard. <laughs> we only grew one. All right. but it was a lovely cucumber. And then we forgot to p pick it. And then it went bad. That's why I don't play Stardew Valley. There you go. <laughs> well, you need to pay your mushrooms. Look, look I, I do think 
the high cost of games has led to a lot of IP turnovers. So, I mean, one of the interesting yes. things when you get to Netflix, some others, is you can imagine them taking some of their large franchises. So take Squid Game. You can imagine that turning into a, a sort of death arena uh, <laughs> match game, much in the model of the TV show. It's actually such a direct translation. In some ways, it's almost the opposite direction, right? You can actually imagine it going from Fortnite to Squid Game. I actually think uh, you could imagine like The Crown turning into... Uh, an oh exciting God. role-playing game as as Queen Elizabeth or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> All I can say is a lot of these folks have great IP. And if you look at some of the best games in Sony, obviously Spider-Man is, is yes. the marquee title, both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. That is a Sony IP property. They own the movies. They do the TV shows. They do the game itself. I think you will continue to see that. But I do think over the next 10 years, we're going to see a lot more IP built in the independent studios. There is a better flow of it. And that leads to one of the big questions, Alex, around the epic Apple trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question is, you know, can Apple hold on to a 30% cut of all transactions that flow through its app store? If it can, it does make the economics a little bit worse for independent studios. The more money they can keep, the more they can de-risk their own investments, make better games and so forth. But we talked earlier about spending lots of time in games and we know that people find a franchise they love minecraft or fortnite whatever and really invest in it and that to me is the precursor to the metaverse so let's play a fun game this is my favorite game to play who here can define what metaverse means without bursting into laughter i will do it a 3d virtual world where you can work play and party so it's like college (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 3D <laughs> virtual, yes, 3D exactly. 3D virtual online college. Zoom University is the metaverse, depending on who you ask. Okay, so so it's not just a game then. The metaverse is more of like a, like, a, like a digital, it's second life, but metaverse life is what you're saying. Yeah, Danny, you had an interesting point on like how it's different than NFTs. And I feel like it actually could help illustrate the kind of culture a metaverse is betting on versus the culture of NFTs, which we talk about on this podcast all the time. Well, I mean, a metaverse fundamentally is a shared experience, right? The most granular fundamental piece of a, of a metaverse is that people who otherwise aren't physically in the same room together um, have a shared experience using the internet, using online technologies. So I agree. Uh, Zoom University, if you're taking a classroom online, you never meet the students in person. Um, that is a metaverse. It's maybe not a great metaverse. It's maybe not a particularly sophisticated metaverse, but it is a fully virtual classroom in which you are not really interacting with folks in, in person. The point I was right. making about NFTs is that it's interesting. It's just as the metaverse is getting a bunch of uh, investment. And obviously, Facebook is just saying the word metaverse over and over again to try to distract from everything going on wrong over in, in, in Facebook land. Um, we have this property focused NFT trend of of things are not streamed, things are not shared. You own a single token and no one else can own that same thing. And so I actually think the two trends are actually remarkably both parallel, but completely divergent. You know, in one case, you're having all this experience and you're sharing. The other is about property and ownership. And I'm curious because, like, as we pointed out with Andreessen's investment in Axie Infinity, there are overlaps between the gaming and NFT worlds actually quite a bit. Um, Mostly, I think, because demographically, the folks who like gaming are also (laughs) very heavily into crypto and NFT. So there's quite a bit of um, consumer overlap. But I'm curious to see how that develops over the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I, I, I utterly hear you. I do see a way to kind of make those two lines intersect, though. And I think here's how you do it. So going back to League of Legends, the example that I brought up earlier, there's a character called Caitlyn, and she's uh, an ADC, an attack damage carry. She's ranged, and she plays in bot lane, and she's tremendous. She's the longest range where she did back when I played of any kind of base character. All right, cool. And you can buy skins for her, one when she's like a sheriff and one when she's like a resistance fighter. And it's cool. You can dress up your character in different ways. Very, very generic, though. Like if you pay $5 for one of those skins, any 25,000 other players can have it because it's just a couple bucks. If you NFT'd them, 
like we've seen sets of NFTs, like, you know, Bored Ape, Yacht Morons or whatever, oh. then you can see how I could have this individual Caitlyn skin that no one else can have. And if it's particularly cool, then not only will I be able to kick maximum ass with Caitlyn because she's amazing, but because I'll also be unique inside of the, the larger universe. And that to me is where there could be a crossover. If there's demand for that, I don't know, but I'm, I'm a nerd, so I'm in. Well, I will say um, Eric Peckham, who was our former media columnist, did a huge deep dive into the metaverse, I want to say a year ago on, on then Extra yeah. Crunch, now TechCrunch Plus. Um, but one of the things I learned about the economics, and he did the most work on economics of, of the metaverse, is there's a huge money laundering issue. Actually, there's an immense amount of money laundering that goes through in-game currencies because they tend to have the least KYC laws, know your customer laws, apply to them. And so NFT has become an interesting mechanism to actually enforcing the, the notion of scarcity in virtual worlds. If I spend $1,000 for a, a Vorpal sword, um, how do I know that the company just automatically was like, everyone gets a Vorpal sword in art because it's more fun for the game or whatever the case may be. And the answer is, well, NFTs can guarantee that the company or the publisher or whoever the case may be just can't nerf any of your tools or any of the things that you purchased over time. It actually creates real value and scarcity in those economies. So up until this point, we've talked a lot about the opportunity and crossover potential for gaming in all worlds that we talk about. But how how are both of you kind of explaining Google's step away from gaming that happened recently? So Stadia, Google's streaming gaming platform, was originally going to be this big thing. And then in kind of classic Google format, it's slowly shrank over time. What Stadia is, is a way to play games instantly, running off their servers, kind of stream to you. And Google was going to make games for this. And then they decided to not do that. And I think, Natasha, that to me is more of a commentary on big tech companies not being good at creative art versus them not being a fit. But I wonder if you're saying that they're Big tech will form the platform base, if you will, and startups will kind of make the games and the IP that sits on top of those. I don't, I don't know, Danny, does that kind of match your view? I think Stadia was an extremely ambitious project, right? Which was, we're going to get rid of the console, get rid of the graphics card. All we're going to do is you're going to have, you're going to play in the cloud, right? And, and we haven't actually talked about cloud gaming at all. But the idea here was like, you're not going to process all this graphics and, and this AI on your home computer. We're just going to do that all on the server and just download the screen you're seeing straight to your computer. There's a couple of problems with that. Obviously, high bandwidth. Um, latency is still really significant in a, in a video game. Um, anytime you're over 30, 40 milliseconds of, of response time, it's going to make the Oof. game choppy and it's going to be pretty terrible. And Stadia, from what I could tell, just never got all those factors right. There's a huge question of whether 5G and then 6G technology, whether 6G summon in just a couple of weeks, it's coming in 15 years, but people are starting <laughs> to think about it. Um, Lo- yeah, love that. We barely have 5G, uh, but we've got to be thinking about <laughs> 6G. I don't have 5G. I don't think I've ever actually used it. What's 6G? Bring on. Yes. Wait. Yes. So, so I do think there's a lot of work around actually the telecommunications protocols. And that's really where the cloud gaming world ended up is I, I think Stadia was way ahead of its time. It's classic Google going on right there. My guess is they're actually going to learn a lot, um, similar to how Google has DeepMind under its belt, which just turned a profit this year for the first time, according to the Financial Times, um, after what, what, seven, eight, nine, 10, 15 years? I don't even know. It's been a really long time for them. So I just think it's ahead of their time, but it was the right thinking because I do think cloud gaming will be completely normalized within the next 10 years. Yeah. And so just to kind of summarize the big tech side of this, like Facebook was a, a gaming platform when they launched kind of the Facebook app system back in the early Zynga days. Now we don't think about Facebook as much as a gaming company, aside from the VR world and now the metaverse world, they're kind of in that bucket. Apple, of course, runs the, the application store that generates tons of revenue for the gaming world. Amazon not only owns Twitch, which is streaming, it's also building its own games, finally had a hit. 
Netflix apparently is going to make a Squid Games game that <laughs> I'm now suddenly kind of excited about. I think, I mean, if, if they don't, why wouldn't they? Is it kind that, of my thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I think Google uh, is doing whatever Google does. Microsoft owns Xbox and uh, it has owned studios variously throughout. Some I forget what it currently has under its auspices. And uh, who am I forgetting? Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Microsoft Facebook. What's the Sal- fifth one? Salesforce. I mean, Salesforce Sa- no, is launching their twenty four seven. They're, they're <laughs> launching their twenty four seven Salesforce TV. It's only inevitable that you have the Benioff yeah. the game. That would be the best game ever. You would just walk around with large pockets of money and then just spill $100 bills all over the city of San Francisco. That Can you build a 100? Game. How do you build a 100-floor skyscraper in the most NIMBY city in America? They didn't build it. They just got the naming rights because they got a bunch of it. That's, yeah. Anyways, the point is, I, I'm excited about all this. Like, like, just researching for this particular show was a lot of fun because... It's so fun to see games, which were when I was a kiddo, this thing that only nerds like myself and a couple of my friends played really now seems to be entirely culturally normal. And that is leading to quite a lot of interesting work. And I would just say such depth in the storytelling capabilities of games themselves. Like I'm playing some really fun stuff right now um, because I don't have kids yet. And eventually that'll stop. But for now, I'm really enjoying it. And I'm just in awe of the work that has gone into creating worlds and titles and stories and, and mysteries and adventures. And it's just such a blast. It's a great time to be a gamer. And uh, I, I hope it stays that way. So startups, if you're listening, we want to play your games, make some kick-ass ones. And if you're Apple, stop stealing all the money. This is the Equity. We'll be back on Friday. Bye. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. Live from a basement in Dubuque, Iowa. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. 30 minutes from the Field of Dreams and four hours from the closest professional sports team. It's not a lie if you believe it. On the banks of the Mississippi River. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown? I mean, you? It's the Degenerate Sports Betting Show with Matthew Friedman. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. And now your host, Matthew Friedman. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Welcome to the Degenerate Sports Betting Show brought to you by Bets TV and sponsored by the FTN Network, where you can get all the season long and daily fantasy and sports betting content that your degenerate heart desires, including my fantasy football write-ups and all of my NFL sides, totals, and player props. Use the highly original promo code FREEDMAN for 20% off of your FTN subscription. That is FREEDMAN for 20% off at FTN. Thank you for checking out our show. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel for Bets TV. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. All right. It is Wednesday, week five, which means it is time for us to run through the five games that are getting the most action for this upcoming slate, setting aside Thursday night football, Monday night football. Uh, We will cover those games individually on other shows. But first, I need to tell you about a great giveaway that we have at FTN where you can win a free trip to Las Vegas for the week 13 game between the Raiders and the Washington football team. It's free to sign up. No purchase necessary. Again, absolutely free. There are lots of prizes that you can win, but the grand prize is a $5,000 value, which includes airfare, hotel, tickets to the game, 
and more. Click on the link in the show description for more details and to sign up. All right, producer Tom, Thomas Viola, my sidekick on the controls, connoisseur of pasta and long-suffering, although now triumphant Jets fan. Tom, let's get started. What is the game getting the most action from betters this Sunday? Well, right now what we are seeing Green Bay at Cincinnati, and I think at the very least my instinct here is the reason why is the Packers are only three-point favorites on the road here in Cincinnati. People may be undervaluing or the books overvaluing the Bengals here. I don't know, but the totals at 50 and a half under is four and one in Bengals last five games. The Packers are three and one against the spread Bengals, just two and two against the spread. Where are you looking at in this one? Because I know I like green Bay here. Yeah, I bet this on Sunday night at minus three and a half. So I'm on the Packers. The line has moved against me, which you never love to see. Uh, If it moves past three and a half and actually gets to two and a half, uh, I might be a little bit worried. But uh, right now I'm still on the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is great against the spread for his career, 122, 86 and five. But he's been best at home and against divisional opponents. Uh, And that means that he is on the wrong side of both of those historical splits in this game. And on the road outside of division, he is 36, 34 and one against the spread. So basically neutral. This is not a historically advantageous spot for him. But I like what I've seen out of the Packers over the past three weeks. They were horrible in week one, but that was just a burn the tape type of game. They are three and oh against the spread since then. They beat the Lions by 18 points as 11 and a half point favorites. They beat the 49ers on the road as underdogs. And then they beat the Steelers by 10 points as six and a half point favorites. In those three games, they outperformed the spread by an average of 5.2 points. And I think they did it while actually not being all that great. They were still, I think they're still kind of like working their way into game shape or like working their way into what they are going to be on offense. So, I think we can continue to see some improvement from the Packers as we move forward. The Bengals are at home. They've had three extra days to rest and prepare. So they certainly have those edges in their favor. Um, But I just, I think in terms of the actual matchup, the Packers have a pretty significant edge. The Packers are number three in most quarterback knockdowns with a 13.1% rate. The Bengals are number five in highest sack rate allowed at 9.3%. So I think, the Packers are going to be able to get after Joe Burrow. Now, the Packers might be without number one cornerback, Jair Alexander. He has a shoulder injury and AC joint issue. We just have to see uh, what the news reports are on that. That is certainly troubling. But the Bengals have relied on the running game for most of the season anyway. So I don't know how desirous or how aggressive they're going to be in exploiting a defense that doesn't have Alexander on it. And the Bengals it's possible that they're going to be without running back Joe Mixon. And if he's out, I don't think they're going to be as, uh, as effective in the running game. And they're number 30 in the league, which is 107 pass attempts this year. They are trying to shield quarterback Joe Burrow, but if he gets in a situation where he has to drop back more to pass, I just think he's going to get punished behind an offensive line that cannot protect him. The Bengals and pass defense are number five which is, I mean, that's a good number. Number five was 6.1 adjusted yards per attempt allowed. But I don't think that number is representative of what they really are as a unit. They played Kirk Cousins in week one, and he put up 351 yards and two touchdowns with no interceptions. And he did that on the road. 
And then in weeks two through four, they played Andy Dalton and Justin Fields in relief, Ben Roethlisberger and Trevor Lawrence. They haven't faced anyone like Aaron Rodgers yet, and they might be without their number one cornerback, Chidobe Awuzie, and also starting safety, Jesse Bates. I don't think the Packers are going to have a problem moving the ball against the Bengals defense. Uh, so I just think the Packers, they score points. I don't have a strong opinion on the total, but I do lean slightly to the over because, again, I think the Packers will put up points. Uh, that is the way I'm viewing this game. Next game up, we've got the Tennessee Titans at the Jacksonville Jaguars featuring future USC coach Urban Meyer. The Titans are laying four in this game right now. Jacksonville, the total at 48 and a half game in Jacksonville. The over is 4-0 in the Titans' last four road games, but that stretches a little bit last back to last season. They're 2-2 two and two against the spread and 2-2 two and two to the over-under this season. The Jaguars are 1-3 and three against the spread. Only one of their games has gone over. Where are you looking here? So the Jags, uh, like the Bengals, have three extra days off, three extra days to uh, rest and prepare because they played on Thursday night football, but they're dealing with the Urban Meyer situation. So who knows how much they've actually been preparing. Uh, based on reporting from Mike Silver of Sports Illustrated, players are upset that Meyer canceled Monday's team meeting uh, because he had to deal with a controversy resulting from the video filmed of him this past week uh, at a bar in Ohio. Uh, I mean, you know, everyone knows, everyone knows what was in that film. I mean, let's just say he hasn't been grinding game film. So I don't think the Jags will be as prepared as they should be. And even when the Jags are prepared, they've still been bad. So I, I don't know if extra preparation really makes a difference. Anyway, the Jags on average have fallen short of the spread by six points per game through the first month. I think they're lucky to be one and three against the spread on defense. They're number 32 in the league and pass defense DVOA. Even without A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, even without sexy tight end John U. Smith, the Titans should still be able to pass the ball. Urban Meyer would know a thing or two about sexy tight ends, just saying. Yes, yes, Tom. Thank you for that all-important contribution. You're right, uh, because we must remember Aaron Hernandez from the Florida days. Absolutely, he knows about some tight ends. Um, also... <laughs> Need, need to get back on track from that. Also, the Titans have Derrick Henry, who annually humiliates the Jags. Last year, he had 299 yards, two touchdowns rushing, seven yards receiving in two games. In 2019, 203 yards, three touchdowns rushing, 18 yards receiving in two games. And then in 2018, he had the infamous breakout game against the Jags in week 14, 238 yards, four touchdowns rushing, one of which was a 99-in-your-face yard touchdown. Henry leads the league in carries and yards, just as he just as he has each of the past two seasons. Uh, he has a career-high 28.3 carries and 3.8 targets per game this year. He's actually being used a little bit as a receiver. Henry is going to get loaded up with action, and I don't think the Jags will be able to stop him. Um, but I haven't bet aside on this game. And that's because the Titans are also very bad on defense. Bottom six with 6.1 yards allowed per play. Bottom six with 8.9 adjusted yards allowed per pass attempt. Trevor Lawrence is coming off the best game of his career. Uh, in fantasy, he's a streaming option this week. I just don't really want to bet on a Titans team that has a defense this bad. I also don't have a bet on the total. 
in Ryan Tannehill's 34 starts with the Titans, the over is 24, nine and one. I mean, that is historically significant. Uh, and that's what comes from having an efficient offense with a really bad defense. But I don't know if I want to trust the Titans to be as efficient as usual if they don't have AJ Brown and don't have Julio Jones. And of course, don't have sexy tight end Johnny Smith. The Jags are three and one to the under this year. So this is just an ugly game, a divisional game. I'm not betting on it. I think the only reason anyone would watch it is to see Derrick Henry, Trevor Lawrence, and the disaster that is Urban Meyer's tenure with this team. The next game up, another ugly divisional game. The Giants going to Dallas to take on the Cowboys in Jerry World. Cowboys sitting at minus seven right now, the total at 52 and a half. And Matt, please tell me you've learned your lesson. The Cowboys are 4-0 ATS. Are you laying the seven points in this one? Tom, how dare you? How dare you say that this is an ugly divisional game? This is a beautiful divisional game. The only thing that's ugly about it is what this game is destined to do to my bankroll. Because I bet this on Sunday at plus seven and a half on the Giants. So everyone listening should run to any sports book you can find and bet on the Cowboys immediately at minus seven. It is a near lock that I lose my bet. But the rationale for it, I do not trust Mike McCarthy. Uh, he is horrible with time management. On top of that, underdogs are seven and three against the spread against him with the Cowboys. The time management thing, the in-game management, I, like that is the kind of thing that separates teams that win easily uh, versus teams that win but don't cover. And I just do not trust Mike McCarthy. It's a small sample, but Joe Judge is 2-0 and against the spread, head-to-head -head against McCarthy. The Giants were underdogs in both of those games last year. Quarterback Daniel Jones is playing the best football we've ever seen from him. He has career-high marks with a 66.7% completion rate, 8.5 adjusted yards per attempt, and he has a, a really high rushing floor with 188 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. And I would say significantly, he has just one interception this year. He's cleaning up some of the mistakes that we have seen him make in previous years. And I think that's significant because the Cowboys are number 30 in the league with 6.4 yards per play allowed, number one in the league in turnovers and interceptions captured. I mean, what happens? When a Cowboys team that can't stop people on defense isn't able to get interceptions, there's a chance that Jones continues the trend that we've seen and just does not throw an interception in this game. I mean, if that happens, I think the Cowboys, I think they win, but I think they win by three points and not seven points. Fantasy production is not everything. And I know this is a sports betting show, but fantasy production, I think, is a reasonable indicator of performance. Jones is a top eight fantasy quarterback this year. The Cowboys are top four in most fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. This is an objectively good spot for Jones. The Cowboys do not have a great home field advantage. They just don't. And Jones, he has reverse splits. Uh, he has been his best on the road. He's one of the few quarterbacks where that actually applies. He has 7.4 adjusted yards per attempt away, 5.7 adjusted yards per attempt at home. He has almost six more fantasy points on the road than at home. And his splits are seen in his against the spread record. He's 11 and four against the spread on the road, four and 11 against this road 
against the spread at home. Just perfect symmetry there. And the Giants might get back wide receivers Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton. Both of them missed last week uh, with hamstring injuries, but they also traveled with the team before they were declared inactive. And the fact that they traveled is a good sign for their potential availability this week. The Cowboys, obviously, they will be fine on offense, but their defense makes them vulnerable to the backdoor cover. As for the total, I haven't bet it, probably won't bet it. The Cowboys with offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, they're 23 and 13 to the over. In the games where Dak Prescott has been the starting quarterback, uh, Moore is 17 and 8 to the over. And in the post Jason Garrett era with Dak Prescott, the over is 7 and 2. Just fantastic when you have Kellen Moore with Dak Prescott being able to do the things that he wants to do. They're phenomenal on offense a high scoring unit and on defense, they're not very good. And that results in overs at the same time. The giants have been a strong under team with Joe judge 14, five and one to the under. Uh, and that also makes sense. They've been mediocre at best on offense. It helps when you have Jason Garrett, uh, and then pretty strong on defense, uh, or at least significantly above average on defense. Uh, so you put these two teams together, I lean to the over just because of how good the Cowboys are on offense and how bad they are on defense. But I just, I'm staying away from the total because I, I don't want to get undered by the giants when that is just historically what they have done in the judge era. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Seven and a half is too many points in a professional football game. You're but I know that this I, it's it's not going to work out for me. It's yeah. not going to work out. Yeah, <laughs> the logic is right, but the the, the 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 football gods will not let you have this one, Matt. Yeah. All right. Next game up: the Miami Dolphins at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's a battle for the state of Florida here. I'm sure that that will come into play heavily in this one, <laughs> as the Dolphins sit as ten point dogs. The total is at forty eight. The over is five and one in Tampa Bay's last six as a favorite. They're one and three against the spread, though. They have not been able to cover. Can they cover the 10 points here? Yeah, I bet this at 10 and a half on Sunday night. Thomas, you mentioned the Bucs are one and three against the spread. They're not right. And the problem primarily is defense where they are markedly injured. And it also doesn't help that on offense. They're without tight end Rob Gronkowski and probably running back Giovanni Bernard. Uh, on defense, there's a very good chance that they will be without uh, Rudge, edge rusher Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, without three starting cornerbacks, and also without a starting safety. I mean, especially on the back end, they've just been brutalized by poor injury luck. Jacoby Brissett was not great last week. Uh, that's an understatement. Uh, but he might be good enough against a defense that is just ravagely injured Uh, and a defense that has allowed the most yards passing in the league. In a circumstance like that, he might be good enough. In an offense, the Bucs, obviously, they're still a top-10 unit, but the Dolphins have a really good cornerback duo in Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, and not having Gronk and maybe not having running back Giovanni Bernard, uh, that could really hurt the passing game. Brian Flores, he's 22-14 and against the spread overall, 
And I think he's even better than that, to be honest, because that includes four against the spread losses from his first month on the job with the Dolphins in 2019 when he was just destroying the roster so that he could rebuild it. Uh, if you take out that first month, he's 22 and 10 against the spread. As an underdog, he's 18 and 10 against the spread. Take out that first month, he's 18 and 6 against the spread as an underdog. And also take out that first month in a head to head matchup against Brady. Brian Flores is one and zero against the spread. Uh, obviously, like I'm not reading too much into that one game sample of what Brian Flores did against Tom Brady, but Brady has struggled in the past when he has gone against assistant coaches, former Patriots assistant coaches who are now head coaches somewhere else and who can come up with a game plan that maybe neutralizes Brady or slows him down a little bit more than just the random game plan concocted by someone who doesn't know Brady as well. 10 points is a lot of points when your secondary is injured and when you can't stop opponents through the air and when you are facing a coach who knows you well and who already tends to cover the spread. So I just, I have to go with the Dolphins here, even though it hurts my stomach to do it. Bruce Arians is 26 and 14 to the over throughout his tenure in Tampa Bay. That makes sense. They have a high-scoring offense, and especially right now, an overrated defense relative to its health status. That just drives games to the over. I would go to the over in this game. All right, and the next game up on our board, San Francisco at Arizona. A lot of good divisional matchups this week. The 49ers, they are five-and-a-half-point dogs in this one right now. Totals at 50. The 49ers have not done well in this meeting. They're 1-5 and 1 ATS in the last seven. 1-3 and three against the spread this season. Cardinals 3-1 and one against the spread. The only 4-0 and o team in the league. Are you riding with Zona or is this the 49ers? Uh, I, I'm going with the 49ers. Uh, it kind of hurts me to say it a little bit. Uh, I was way too early in betting this on Sunday night. Uh, I still thought there might be a chance that Jimmy Garoppolo would play this week. So I betted at plus three and a half. Uh, so I don't like that the line has moved against me, but I still believe in the position. I've added to it at plus five and a half. Uh, and I figure as long as I'm below the key number of six, um, the difference between three and a half and five and a half isn't hugely significant. This is a divisional game. And I think anything more than three is probably too much, even without Jimmy Garoppolo, who let's be honest, he wasn't being used in a maximizing way within that offense. The 49ers were almost trying to plan around Jimmy Garoppolo instead of leveraging any talents that he has. So I don't know if the absence of Garoppolo is actually something that subtracts from the potential of this offense. Um, Bo Shanahan and Cliff Kingsbury, they have very clear historical splits that suggest the optimal ways in which they should be bet. Shanahan is 8-20-1 against the spread as a favorite, 23-16 and 16 against the spread as an underdog. And as a dog who is away from home, he's 15-9 and nine against the spread on the road, 16-9 and nine against the spread if you include his one neutral game. Cliff Kingsbury, 5-8 and eight against the spread as a favorite, 14-7-2 against the spread as an underdog. And Cliff Kingsbury as a home favorite, uh, two and six against the spread. This is a perfect alignment. Shanahan as a road dog, Kingsbury as a home favorite. 
I, I can't imagine not betting on Shanahan in this spot. And really, I think this this game comes down to Trey Lance. And what I am projecting as a Lamar Jackson type of type of playmaking ability uh, late in games as a runner with his legs. Uh, the type of playmaking that defenses cannot plan for and really cannot stop. And I think this playmaking ability, when tied to and leveraged by Shanahan's ability to game plan, I think that is what gets the 49ers to cover. And honestly, maybe even the outright win. I have a lot of respect for the Cardinals, but they have been, I don't want to say they've been overperforming to this point in the year, but they have been running pretty good. At some point, there has to be some regression. And the 49ers, they have they have some injury issues on defense, but they're still number 10 in the league with 5.3 yards allowed per play. They know Kyler Murray as well as any other team knows him. I don't think they will be able to stop him, but they might be able to slow him down just enough to get the cover. Uh, the total, I don't have a strong opinion, but I would lean to the over with these two offenses. Uh, I think we see points in this game, especially from the 49ers. I think they might be undervalued uh, on offense with Trey Lance there instead of Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, So I would lean that direction, but I haven't bet it because this is a divisional game. These are two defenses that might be better than people think. You could see how the under hits. All right, Matt, that is going to do it for the top five games. Most being bet on right now for this week. We got a lot of good stuff coming up, though. Where can people find all of the content that you're putting out each and every day? All right. All of my written work you can find at the FTN Network on Friday. I publish my fantasy football breakdown on Thursday. I publish the best bets article on Tuesday. I publish my first draft of the rankings, which are updated on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And throughout the entire week, I am putting all of my NFL plays, my sides, totals, and player props in the FTN bet tracker. You can check out all of that information with a subscription and use the promo code Friedman for 20% off at FTN. All right, that is the show. Please subscribe to the best TV channel on YouTube and rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. You can find me and Tommy V on Twitter at Matt F the Oracle and TV at work. Thanks for joining us and see you next episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.